Everyone, welcome back to part two of our second question time badges special. So, if you haven't heard part one, Fledge and I were talking a bit about what we've been up to, but also answering some of the questions that you guys have kindly sent in um, to the to the podcast. And now, because we were getting a little long, we hit pause, and now we're back to part two. We're back. Someone told me last night that your voice is like an ASMR. I think it might have been James Hornsby. <laughs> <laughs> so people are falling. That's why everyone falls asleep when, when we're talking, Bledge. Well, shall we get straight back into it? So we talked a bit in the first episode uh, about, about the Open, about uh, the stuff you're going to do to reinstate it, about the difficulties you have. Um, it's also leading up to it and the challenges you're facing and let's ask Dan Fisher's question next uh, I think Dan's from North Foreland so Dan used to uh, work with me at Royal St Ports he oh, was brilliant. one of our guys me Dan and he is the deputy at North Foreland great lad well Dan wants to know what's the best bit of advice you've been given that stuck with you I would say probably from Lee Strutt who said that if you want to, if you want something badly enough, you need to go get it yourself. You need to invest in yourself because no one else is going to. You're you're the product, and you're trying to sell yourself to prospective employers. So no one else is going to do it for you. No one else is going to blow your trumpet. You need to do it yourself. Yeah. Uh, and if it be, if that means educating yourself at nights, if that means going off your own back to do tuna experience, networking. Uh, if you really, really want to hit the heights and get the very best job, you need to put yourself head above the parapet uh, and invest in yourself, even if it, is, if it does cost you money, if it's financially. You know, you don't... Like this, the school, when the school bell goes at two o'clock at work, you'll find the people that want to do well in their career and stay on and, and rush to get out that door. You know, it's not about being a clock watcher it's about hanging about seeing feeding off the course manager feeding off what he's, he's, he's spending more time with him saying like, you mind if I can can we spend half an hour tonight going over working out how you, you work out how much nitrogen we put on stuff like that you know uh, so you would never be you know if you're young new to a team and someone came up to you and you know you're preparing for the Open Championship you know you're a busy man and someone comes up and says Oh, I, you know, I didn't really get this. I, I, I knew what we were doing, but I didn't understand why we were doing it. Mm-hmm. Do you mind if, at some point, would you, would we be able to run through? You know how you'd still much rather that happens than rather thinking, oh no, I'm above this. I'm the boss. Yeah, oh, definitely. I, I have all the time in the world for either a all of our staff or b uh, people that reach out on Twitter, for example, ask questions or. I mean, I'm quite often helping people when it comes to CVs or cover letters or job advice or whatever. And not that I know everything, but I've been there. And I think that's probably what it is. It's experience. Uh, but yeah, I mean, going back to the investing in yourself, it's it's true. You need to you need to take your own time out, your own, like not always be like looking to be paid for everything, you know? Like, for example, uh, you, you I would stay back at G West with Strutty for hours talking about agronomy or he would be showing me things and I would never dare ask for the, oh, I, I worked two hours overtime that night. 
because you get a scalp across the ear. <laughs> Do you know? It's like, well, this is your career blade you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it is true. Like, it's, a, it's a long life, you know? You need to put the effort in. You don't get nothing for nothing. So for me, Dan, I would say that's it. Yeah, great answer. Well, let's ask next Tom Price. He wanted to know, uh, not about the Open, but about sort of the hailing episode that we did with Greg Easton and with Graham Roberts when they were talking about moving from um, trying to get trying to get grass coverage on that incredibly difficult site that they managed down there um, with having more of the dwarf rye seed on there. So he wants to know what the negatives are. To well, that. I mean, dwarf rye grass uh, pretty much saved hailing uh, a couple of years in a row there during the, the severe droughts and I'm probably uh, speaking on Greg's behalf here uh, and I hope I'm quite accurate with everything but uh, the the negatives being I mean dwarf rise it's a, it's a bit of a stickier grass than, than fescue fescue's a lot less resistance to it and that's why it can be it produces fast form surfaces uh, the but hailing was never really meant to be as far as I know meant to be sown out with like 100% d- dwarf and you know, the, the the key there was and the idea was still to try and get fescue in there uh, and using the, the dwarf as like a big brother or a, like a good backbone uh, to harness all the fescue you were going to put in afterwards. Uh, and so that was, that's the kind of the, the really only negative is that. I mean, I've never found ultra-fine uh, dwarf rye uh, to turn woody. Uh, at all, or turn into like uh, to morph into something that was it was a, a lot kind of stronger than a rye grass. Uh, so, uh, as a an ideal grass, you know, I I, I love it. We, we actually uh, poking some bits onto the walk on and the putting green round uh, around the pro shop, you know, because it's I mean it's a fescue bent edge that we've turfed in. We've taken away the bushes and we've actually dimpled in some ultra fine the green because people are walking on and off there all the time. So what would your ideal mix of grasses be across a golf course? You know, fescue greens. Fescue bent. Fescue bent. Yep. The fescue mix of the across. two. Yeah, fescue bent greens, fescue fairways. And and why both rather than a monoculture? Uh, the, so the, the bent kind of performs really well sometimes when the fescue's not. You know, if you've got a monoculture that, that doesn't like a certain type of year or a certain weather condition, uh, then it all goes backwards whereas if you've got the bent grass in there then it's still performing and you've still got a decent surface uh, bent's also used quite often to slow greens down you know and if you've got exposed greens uh, that, that might just get a little bit too fast uh, it's also fescue's just it's not this uh, silver bullet or golden bullet whatever the saying is I mean it does have diseases as well some of the, the surfaces I've struggled the most with are the fescue areas with dollar spot uh, was bent grass not quite so bad you know it, yes it can get fusarium yes it can get take all patch but uh, yeah it's it's just good it's great to have both in there uh, I mean you look at the Hoylake greens that Craig's produced and sown so over the years and uh, with the bent grass in them I mean it's such a beautiful blend it's amazing uh, so but I have seen I mean up at Castle Stewart pure fescue greens up there unbelievable yeah uh, I think Brora have some of the best greens. They've I've got a seen. lot of fescue in their greens as well. But I mean, like Castle Stewart, obviously, and and uh, closed down for for a, a good spell during the winter, don't they? As well, I mean, 
Yeah, they do. They have a proper season rather than a year-round. Go backwards, you know, and like really struggle with uh, wear tolerance and stuff. Uh, I mean, you can tell in a fescue green when there's 140 golfers going through, uh, you know, it does start to tear up. Now, what about fairways then? So if, if, if greens are a mix, you've got quite a lot of the sheep's fescue down the 18th for mm-hmm. Oilake at the moment which is looking Different good. Different cultivars of fescue in the fairways which is amazing. I mean the sheep's fescue is a beautiful grass. It, uh, strong cleating red fescue is really really drought tolerant. You know, they're the things that grow strong when the, no matter how dry it, get, dry it gets and the first things to grow back. Uh, so yeah I mean bent grass to the fairways as well not a problem again for the same reasons. Uh, roughs just fescue. Just yeah. fescue through the roughs. The and long, includes long grass all the roughs around. are, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of ryegrass in our roughs at uh, I think Skibo. I think Skibo Castle, Chippy, I yeah. think he gets the best rough. Yeah, beautiful golden fescue roughs up there, yeah. Because it, it can be like a, a up to your field. knees. Yeah, it can yeah. be up to your knees. and uh, But you don't lose your golf ball. Mm-hmm. You can so you walk straight it. up to it, you can say, oh, there it is, it's 40 yards over there. Just because he's managed over. it, though. You know, I mean, if you don't manage fescue, it's actually worse than anything when it comes to uh, uh, lost balls. I mean, it can get so thick. But is that the fescue or is, or is that the other stuff that's underneath? Yeah, no, that's fescue. Right? Fescue gets really thick. If you, you look at uh, overwatered fescue, you can I can show you some examples of maybe around where fescue's grown around irrigation heads or whatever. Uh, it can get proper gnarly. Uh, and then you, you, it can get so bad in some areas where it can, it'll can lie down, it'll just lie flat and just cover golf balls. So it needs managed as well, you know. Yeah. Okay, so you've got... You've got the different types of fescue on the on the fairways, and you've got fescue on the thing. But what about the paths then, and and the high traffic areas? Is that where you'd use, um, in in your ideal mix mm-hmm. of grasses? Is that where you'd you'd use the dwarf? You'd use a, you'd use a dwarf rye grass in there, but you would you would probably switch to a, a, a stronger cultivar of the dwarf rye, so more like an RPR. Uh, so the ultra fine is more for uh, you could say for teas. For fairies, some people put it in, and like you know, if I was like renovating uh, uh, an old bowling green or something, or maybe uh, like I worked in a Scandinavian golf course where the where the everything was dead at the start of the year. I mean, this is something that you'd maybe consider putting in because it's just like you want people to get on with stuff, you know. So it takes it takes really well. It spreads well. Uh, the wear tolerance is great, and the finest of leaf is super fine. And also, they've managed to uh, uh, modify these rye grasses now that the colour as well is very important is very light much like a fescue so they get better and better every year better and better every year and you can cut them down to like four mil now as well but in your paths yeah so something more like a, a, an rpr and you can start to sew a, a blend of fescue through that as well and fill in the gaps like the, the football guys do so it's about being pragmatic and having a mix yes uh accepting that you're not going to have perfect growing conditions mm-hmm. every single day of the year and that you've got a lot of traffic to go through the site. In one of our, in a couple of our infrastructure areas, which is just pure sand outside where my house is, uh, we struggled, 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 struggled. No, no water there last year. Uh, had to get that full grass coverage for the two hundred sixty-two thousand people or whatever that are coming, and I could not get fescue taken it. Not a chance. So we quit that try to get rye just like normal dwarf rye to, to grow in there and it was just it was so sandy so dry so blowy didn't take either uh found this e1 which barnbrug make which is the lowest grade uh horticultural grass seed 
it's basically like silage. Put that in there, it gets cut down, so it's, it's got cut two inch all year long, uh, and it's absolutely fantastic. It's completely established established itself in the sand straight away. It gets cut every every couple of weeks. So uh, and then there's going to be it's going to be trodden to death anyway. So it'll be a reseed job after the open anyways, which we can put fesky in. Then we can try that, and we don't have a time the time pressure against us, and we can do it in in the autumn. Well, the fact that that's grown in and sort of taken on the straight sands. Uh, and then perhaps had a year and died and cut back and then added a little bit of organic when it decomposes into the... So would that mean that the fescue has a fighting chance then of actually surviving? Yes, 100%. Yeah, I mean, and, and I guess uh, we just need to see what it looks like. It might be a case where it's actually survived better than we thought and we need to spread the round up and start again or plough the whole area up. But uh, yeah, I think you've just got to... Sometimes you just need to provide people what they need. You know, in this case, we needed... 100% grass coverage so they could start putting the tents down and we were against the time so you got to do what you got to do and uh, Barnbrook came to the party with that idea so that was great. Perfect. Well, we were talking, it's an opportune moment to, uh, why don't we, we talk and congratulate Greg Easton on his recent appointment. Mm. So, yeah, it was announced last week Greg's going to be taking over as a course manager at uh, Royal St George's in Sandwich. Where, so Greg was my, my deputy for two wonderful years and then went off to hailing for, I don't know how long he's been hailing, for six, seven years or something? Well, I'm sure everyone will have listened to the podcast and, and have better memories than we one do. Of the best yes, we've had on, yeah. And uh, there's no one more deserved of that job. You know, he's, uh, in my eyes, one of the best greenkeepers I've ever met. You know, he's he's a lovely, lovely bloke, as you'll contest. Absolutely. Uh, which goes a long way. That's This is key, actually, you know. Humble, isn't he? Yeah, like, oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Doesn't it's, blow his own trumpet. No. Uh, I'll blow it for him, though. But he's uh, a fantastic greenkeeper. He's got his mechanic skills, uh, irrigation, he can do all that. And But I uh, just mostly people skills, and I think he's a good communicator and just really nice to get on with. And the boys down there, I love him, and... Uh, I'm looking forward, excited for them, excited for the guys getting back together. I mean, Ben down there as well, Royal Sink Ports. I mean, it's, Greg knows everyone down there, like friendly bunch. And I uh, push these three clubs forward together, you know, and create a great friendly atmosphere. And uh, it's going to be amazing. Like, I'm so excited about it all. Now, I'm excited to see what he does because Royal St George is one of my f- absolute favourite, from an architecture point of view, one of my favourite golf courses in England. Uh, and they've struggled, you know, a few years with bits and pieces and droughts and, and coverage and everything. So, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it depends. Depends who you listen to. Um, but you know, Greg, I'm sure is is gonna take that place from strength to strength. So, mm, yeah, good luck. Congratulations, Greg. Delighted yeah. um, to see what you. Excited to see what you what you come up with. All shouting for you. So I've got a question for you now, Sam. Thank you, Patch. What do you look for architecturally on a golf course? And does the UK have any interest in modern golf courses? And that's from Ryan Beefy Smith. Oh, Ryan Beefy Smith. Um, Thanks, Ryan. First part, what do I look for on a golf course? Um, variety. You know, I've already said that when I was talking about the old course, I think. But it epitomises it. I I think when I say variety, it's not just how you can play different types of holes. It's not just how you, you know, being able to have options. Uh, it's like the old comprehension question when you're at school, you know, it's like there's a, there's there's no right answer to it. There's just, a, 
how you play it is is more interesting than how it's um than how it's meant to be played you know if a golf course stands up and says right you pledge if you can't smack this driver 260 down this narrow bit of grass and if you can't do that you can't play the hole well then that's a shit golf course mm. you've got to be able to say well that might not be in your wheelhouse but you're a much you know you're a much better putter than i am um and it might be that if someone is is longer off the tee or someone's a better iron player or someone has a better short game or whatever there are all of the different facets of the game a great golf course allows you to to go about the golf course go about putting a score together go about playing the holes in the way that suits you and variety in how you can take on that hole i think is key for good architecture but then Taking that a bit further, variety in the types of holes that are out there, you know, having short holes, long holes, having um, holes where you want to move the ball left to right, right to right to left, you know, even high and low, it might be you've got to stop the ball quickly on the front of a green or, or to get to the back ledge on the green, you've actually got to hit it lower so it runs up. Mm. You know, that for me, that's variety. Basically being able to not have something prescribed to you but go and oh and change different directions of wind as well you know like Muirfield is a great rooted golf course because you will play the wind can be blowing in one direction but you will have played shots into the wind downwind wind off the right wind off the left over your shoulder into you know all of these different angles so the the you know all of those different things combined means that you've got to have tried everything and you've got a, you know, the old cliche here, every club in the bag. And to play those golf courses really well, you've got to be a really well-rounded golf course, uh, really well-rounded golfer. Mm-hmm. But everyone can have played them. It's not just so prescriptive that you've got to, if you can't hit it 260 down this tight bit of grass, then, you know, don't even bother walking onto the first tee. Just stay in the bar because you have a much nicer time there. You know, so for me, that's that's a hallmark of a great golf course. And I put those on one end of a spectrum where they might not be the most attractive places visually, but uh, or, or in terms of the landscape, perhaps. But for me, they're places like Muirfield, uh, the old course, Carnoustie, Hoylake to a degree. Deal is a good example as well. Um, but then on the other end of the spectrum, they might be places that are so beautiful that you stand there and just think, Christ, you know, I could spend... I could spend all day sat here looking at that view and they, they might be the Turnberries or or Birkdale to a degree. You know, Birkdale, the landscape is so big and massive that it's uh, it's an extraordinary place. But the the very, very best of the whole lot are the ones that then combine those two things. You know, the ones where they have all of the variety and all of the interest and all of the shots that you have to hit, but they're also in a beautiful place. And that's why... You know, top of the shop for me are the places like Dornock and County Down. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the places that have everything. And yeah, okay, you know, both of those places, the real, real critical person might say, well, you know, not every hole is perfect. Well, no, but there's not many golf courses in the world that mm-hmm. has every single hole is perfect. Mm-hmm. People complain about the 18th at Cypress Point, but God almighty, you know, to have... Every single type of shot you need to hit there, and the most beautiful place that you could ever stand, it, you know, it takes your breath away. And you stood on the fifteenth tee there, and the sixteenth, mm-hmm. 
I think that you're never going to achieve perfection, but you don't need to. You know, it, it's it's um, all of these different things, how they combine, how they ebb and flow. For me, that's what makes a great golf course. Excellent. And um, in terms of are there any really good ones in Britain, second part of the question, uh, yeah. So if you were to think of, I'm gonna I'm going to extend it to GB and I, because mm-hmm. there aren't masses to choose from, but if you were to say the the new golf courses in in GB and I, you're talking about Castle Stewart, Kings Barns, Mac Dunes, Skibo Castle that was redone, uh, Dunbarney. Uh, you're talking about. Um, Rossapenna, mm-hmm. St. Patrick's there. I probably missed a couple out, but just off the top of my head, those are some good examples. For me, I think Castle Stewart, Kingsbarns in Scotland, St. Patrick's over in um, over in Downings in Ireland. Uh, they're they're probably my favourites. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, is Castle Stewart and our Kingsbarns are, are they links courses? It's a tricky one because, you know, they're sort of more fabricated landscapes. They're not on straight sand, natural dunescapes like some of the others, some some of the others are. But for me, the difference between those and say the Castle Course or say Dunbarney, which are very similar in how they were built, is probably in the attention to detail and the execution. You know, I don't think you can really fault Kings Barnes or Castle Stewart in terms of how they make you think, you know, all of those things that I've just said, what makes a good, a good golf course. Um, I think all of those, the attention to detail at those places, and that probably speaks to Mark Parson, who was uh, mm-hmm. the developer of both of those, uh, Kyle Phillips and Gil Hans, the architects. But Mark Parson and, you know, the, the attention to detail, there are all those stories where someone would say, oh, the, the bunker on such and such, and they say, oh, yeah, that's the uh, bunker on the fourth hole that Brora. And I say, what, you know, what do you mean? And he say, oh, come into my office. And he'd pull out a whacking great file and there'll be photographs and there'll be a fo- the photograph of the bunker on the fourth hole at, at Brora and, and they would have recreated this. And, you know, taking from the, the, the best bits from some of these classic courses and combining them with such care and attention to detail has come up with something that's absolutely as good as anything. So for me, those are two of the best. And... You never really talk about Parkland golf. Is there, are there any Parkland golf courses that spring to mind, that, uh, modern ones that you've played that you you thought are pretty enjoyable? Oh, I don't think it's any reason other than I'm just not as well-travelled in, in those places. You know, I've not been to Queenwood. You have. Um, probably the highest-ranked, quote-unquote, that I've played is JCB, yeah. which Robin Heisman, lovely bloke Robin, uh, Robin Heisman built and you know it might not quite be my style but it's a fun golf course to play mm. and if the brief from the owners there from JCB was go and play go and do something that people will that will last in people's memories mm. and um, and when they're bringing potential clients and customers along something that showcases earth moving and uh, and is a fun golf course to play, then absolutely he's nailed it on the brief. Mm. Um, it's just maybe not quite the same style that, that I'm talking about, which is just my personal personal passion. But I am going this week up to uh, Loch Lomond. Wow. 
Have you no, played no, lock climbers? Never played lock climbing. I've been to the Scottish Open a few times there uh, as a kid and absolutely adored it. Yeah, and, uh, uh, it's a dream for me to play Loch Lomond. So I might have to add that one to the to the list because um, I'm excited to see that. That'll be unreal. Yeah. It'll be yeah, yeah. I, I, it's a bucket list course for me. Hopefully one day some nice person will ask if I want to go. Play I'll Loch report Lomond. back. I'll yeah. report back. There we go. Okay, well let's let's finish off. Uh, but a couple of couple of questions remaining. Everyone wants to know how you can go about getting some top level experience for 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 that that next job, that next step up. If you've only really been at, at one golf course, mm, it can be a, a tough one because I mean, uh, it does help to have a lot of golf courses on your CV. It gives you it gives the, the your prospective employer uh, the, the the kind of advantage. Of knowing that you have got experience from every walk of life or every different scenario as opposed to just one. So what I would say is, again, getting out and getting around other golf courses and uh, and volunteering your, 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 your help. And that doesn't mean volunteering your, yourself to work tournaments and rate bunkers and cut greens, but actually uh, going and spending time with other course managers uh, that, you, that you look up to or you would want to aspire to be that day. Uh, like I mean, the time I spent, obviously, with Dan Lightfoot was really great for me and bring that up in interviews and you can say, but yeah, I know I don't have the, uh, the, the kind of all the all the golf courses on my CV that you'd maybe expect or, look, or, or, or want to see, but uh, I have done this, this and this and uh, to kind of try and fill these gaps. It's... Uh, I mean, you can find strengths in other in other ways than that, uh, and it's yeah, it's hopefully not as hard as you you might might think. And perseverance—that's something that they said in in the episode with Jim Croxon that we put out the other mm. the other week. Um, do you think that's that's something that you know to reiterate that point? Ah, hundred percent. And you have. I have had so many knockdowns in my in my time in my career and and just kind of keeping going uh, and if you really want it things happen for a reason you'll get there one day and you'll get the perfect job that'll that'll suit you uh, and because we all we all have a life plan and we all like it's Hoylake my last destination I don't have a clue <laughs> yes. I actually do not have a clue you know and uh, the uh, but it's it's all we all kind of should think about that in the future, and uh, it's a difficult one. It's difficult. Well, yeah, no one's got a crystal ball, do they? So. No, not at all. No, but as I say, as my mum always said, sorry, uh, what's for you will not go by you. So, what's the translation of what's for you will not go past okay. you? Uh, and I have loads of friends, including myself, that's, that have had really big disappointment in life when it comes to jobs and. Uh, you've just got to pick yourself up, brush on, show them that you're better than that and, cr- and crack on. Okay, well, shall we move to one of the best questions that we had? They've all been good questions, but particularly so in terms of stimulating a bit of debate. Um, Mr. Peacock's question. Is that Chris or Drew? It, it, well, he says it's Drew. <laughs> um, but you can take your pick is in, that, in that, terms you of... Think it's Fraser Peacock? Is that an alias? Maybe it's Fraser. I think it's Maybe Fraser talking about. Um. <laughs> Can I? That's actually a true story. I got laughed out of the post office in Sandwich because uh, the lady in there, I used to post a lot of stuff on eBay, and she was Ros, lovely woman, 
and she was uh, dying of laughter. And I was like, what's, what's so funny? She's not see who this is addressed to. And I was like, no, I just wrote it on from the, the, the eBay printing label. It was uh, Drew Peacock. <laughs> Two questions. Number one, in both of your opinions, what leaves a bigger, positive or negative, impression, course design, or the surface conditions? And then question two is if you had to, for the rest of your life, play a sensational a sensational design in poor condition or an average design in sensational condition, what would it be? I'm going to completely contradict myself here then probably. For the first question, because I'm a greenkeeper, it's when you walk in the first tee or you enter the clubhouse, the car park, it's always, you always look at conditioning. You always do. It's in our nature to do that. Uh, whereas this is what's so good about this podcast, you're the other side of that, you'll be 100% hmm. architecture. Well, you're not be 100%. I, you'll actually, be the think, majority, I actually think Fraser's uh, kind of hit the nail on the head with how he's asked the question. It's a very clever question. Because as much as I'd love to say that architecture is, the, is by far and away the only thing that matters, I would say the vast, you know, that's probably the case for me and it's probably the case for other you know, sad people like me. Um, I think... As a one-off, if you are playing a golf course once, mm -hmm. I think a lot of the things that we will try and put into a design, you're never really going to notice them once because they're designed to be, the more you play it over time, the more these things um, sort of come, you spot them, you spot them more. You know, if you play a golf course once, then the chances are the shot that's more difficult from one side of the fairway compared to the other, well, you're only going to be on one side of the fairway mm. or another if you play that golf course one time. If you're a member and you play it week after week after week, then I would say a lot of the architecture, a lot of the things that, that we really try hard to incorporate to make people think, then it's only really when you play them more, more than once that you will you will really notice them and appreciate them. So, for the most part, I think he's right, and I think you're right. I think if you walk off a golf course and the greens were immaculate and it was a great uh, presentation, you're going to remember that perhaps more favourably than something that was in, in a poor condition that mm. perhaps under the surface was really well designed. And you find with uh, golfers as well, they only ever talk about condition, don't they? Most well, of the time. I, I used to uh, help put the top 100 lists together for a few different publications. And realistically, if you ask most people, most punters who play golf, they care about three things. How good were the greens? Mm -hmm. How nice were the views? And how well did they play? Mm -hmm. And if none of those, you know, if, if, if the answer was the greens were slow, they played crap and, and it was raining then it's almost like human nature. They're going to think worse of the golf course than if it had been the reverse and mm. they played great and they'd had their career round and, and all the rest of it. You know, the trick is is how you objectively look at it and get past it. And, and when I was sort of building ranking panels, that was, that was you know, the, the trick to, to weed out the people who could actually give you an objective answer and it doesn't really matter how they played. Mm-hmm. I definitely, and I think I would contradict that by with the second question, uh, saying that I would rather play a well 
design golf course in poor condition for the rest of my life than a good condition golf course that's not designed well. 100%. Uh, and luckily we've got both. <laughs> yeah, well, we're very lucky. But, uh, but you're right, you know, Clayton's, um my colleague Mike Clayton, he, he always says that a view can only take you so far. You know, a nice view or nice conditioning, it can take you so far. But after a time, even the best view in the world, like there's a little plaque, you know, I mentioned Cypress Point before. There's a little plaque on the 17th, I think, and it basically says, you know, let's take a moment to look round and, and appreciate how lucky we are because not many people pass this point. And it... For for me, I was I was lucky enough to stand there and look around and think, how on earth could could anyone walk through here and not have their breath taken away mm. by the beauty of the surroundings? But I guess if if you play there every single day of the week, mm. every single week of the year, then maybe maybe you do kind of get accustomed to it. And I suppose we do as well. You know, everyone over time, the most beautiful view in the world, you get used to because mm. it's it's always like that. The thing that keeps it fresh and keeps you excited and keeps you coming back for more, this is what I would argue for, is the good design. The fact that every single time you play the golf course, it's a bit different. You realise something the more you play it that you hadn't realised before. And that's the good design element that, for me, is is so important. Excellent. It's a, good, well, it's a great question, Fraser, and uh, someone we, we quite enjoy talking about and we quite often talk about off air as well <laughs> when we when we go into depth about uh, all the golf courses that we've played. We're lucky enough to play. Yeah, but, and and just to to finish finish this off, I I think that everyone everyone can appreciate both aspects of it. You know, everyone reckons they're an architect. Everyone reckons they're a greenkeeper. You know, everyone will say, "Oh, Blege, the greens were a bit slow today," or or as I was sat with. John McLaughlin the other week, they'll say, oh, John, the greens were a bit fast today <laughs> and complain <laughs> about that instead. But, um, you know, the fact that all of these things, everyone cares so much because it's, it's such a, a passion in all of our lives. Um, it, it must be incredibly hard for you to try and try and keep all of the people happy all of the time, which oh, is... Oh, it is, it is definitely because, I mean, especially just now when you're trying to, you've got your you're thinking all you're thinking about is what's happening in eight weeks' time and you're you're protecting certain bits of the course for that. Yet you're still uh running club championships yesterday and you've still got patron days and uh a lot of people playing it in their bucket list. So I saw yeah. Tom Watson down there the other day. Tom Watson, Georgia Hall. Yep. Uh which is pretty cool. Yeah. So I didn't sadly didn't get to meet him or see him at all. Which is a bit devastating. I walked past him in the uh, in the corridor in the clubhouse, and he had his hat on. He's kind of looking down. Oh, did, he, did you say can you, can you take your hat off in the clubhouse, please? Sir? I stopped short of saying that. You know, this time of year, um, and I walked past, and I was like, "Was that Tom Watson?" And I just yeah. walked past Tom Watson. Amazing. Yeah, uh, I'd heard a story at the weekend about how kids have changed these days. That uh, Peter Finch, the YouTuber, uh, was on the first tee, standing beside Tom Watson, and one of the juniors ran up to him. And uh, no. cuddled him and went, oh, can I get a picture with you? you, you I've watched all your videos. He's got me through the lockdown. And, and he was very happy to take a picture with him and then didn't even notice Tom Watson. Did he get like, Tom Watson to take the picture? Of... Hi. Can you take a picture? <laughs> Excuse me. Are you out walking your dog? 
Uh, How many you... opens have you won, Tom? Five. <laughs> Try harder. Uh, and so he didn't even know who Tom Watson is, I don't think. You know, and it's just the, the world we live in these days. So. Amazing. Yeah, and that. Right, well, one quick question to finish. Chris Bernard, oh. he wants to know what your moisturising regime is. Oh, God. So I think looking at my pictures that have been taken of me recently, you would think that I've been moisturising with mayonnaise. But uh, <laughs> I actually use uh, Bull Bulldog moisturiser. You just get it from Tesco as a bog standard, but it's got an SPF in it. Well, there is a serious question. There's a serious reason why we left um, this this questioning because um, as funny as it is for me to poke fun at Pledge, because every time I see him, he's about to be interviewed by someone, <laughs> so he's in the makeup room. Um, but you know, if you're spending all day outside on a golf course, even in Britain, okay, oh, it's yeah, not yeah. California or Florida or somewhere, mm-hmm. but it must be important, Pledge. To... Yeah, get your suntan lotion on. I mean, this, this is the time of year. We've got our suntan lotion station on the wall with a little clock face that points to how how much the risk is in that day. Uh, but I, I I have put mine on every day as well on my face, uh, and it's the moisturiser's got SPF in it. But uh, you can't get burnt. It's Life's too short for that. You know, it's very dangerous for greenkeepers, one of the biggest hazards. Well, I'll tell a quick story. Um, which is one of the most interesting people I've met since I sort of um, bludgeoned my way into the golfing world. And it's a guy called Nick Edmund. Have you come across Nick? No. So Noel Edmonds. Not Noel Edmund, very different character. Um, so Nick Edmund, uh, I, I, he had, oh, I don't know how many times he's had cancer on his on his head. He said he never wore a hat. Uh, he spent all of his life outside on a golf course, and he had he's a cancer on his, on the top of his head, um, maybe a couple of other places. Nick had these skin grafts and he's had surgery, and he walked to raise awareness and to raise money. Uh, he set up a foundation called Global Golf for Cancer, and an incredibly, incredibly uh, amazing story and so important to share. So he ended up walking uh, the wild Atlantic way with his golf clubs on his back, playing playing golf and raising awareness. He walked from Turnbury to Dornock, all wow. the way across. Um, he's he's walked from Loch Erne to County Down. He's walked uh, from Royal St George's to Royal St David's. Jeez. He's walked everywhere, um, and he's he's done it. He's beaten cancer a few times, but he's doing it to raise awareness. So, mm. um, so Nick, if you if you're listening out there, um, big big friends with David Cannon, the great photographer. David's done a lot to support. Uh, great friends with Matt Harris, who's one of my really good friends. Another great photographer. Uh, those guys and, and and Nick especially through the Go- Global Golf for Cancer Foundation. If you see a flag at a golf course near you on the fourth hole with a number four on it flying on perhaps the fourth of the month, that's what it's for. Mm-hmm. And the, the whole point is, yeah, is wear a hat, wear your sunglasses, wear sunscreen, mm-hmm. and don't think just because we're in this old England or even Scotland mm-hmm. um, that it, you're not going to be at risk of these things. Uh, you're subjected to it every day, so it's, it's really important. So it's... It's a great question, Chris, and uh, he doesn't. Have, Chris doesn't have much hair on his head at all, so I hope he lathers up every morning. In fact, he's as bald as a coot. 
Well, that's probably a time to call this a day. So if you stuck around for part two of this question and answer thing, thanks so much for doing so. Pledge, what's on the agenda this coming week? What's on the open prep? Uh, bank holiday tomorrow, isn't it? So uh, team in for half a day. Always lose out in bank holidays. We've got some... There's uh, television towers going up, so little bits and pieces there to do for that. Uh, what else? What else? What else? What else? Weeds, picking picking weeds, uh, hand, hand picking weeds, uh, and watering. Weeding and watering are the key words just now. Uh, looking looking to the, the course closes two weeks before they open, and that time we'll get the flame torch out, tidy up some of the bunkers. We may as well just leave it till then. Uh, but yeah. Uh, Probably a little bit less cutting this week. We were cutting everything twice a week, tees, approaches, fairways, and we can nip that down out once a week. Uh, the, the the kind of May, spring uh, burst of growth has subsided. Uh, and then the week after that, it's back into wetting agent week. So, horsing that, getting the sprayer back out. And then the countdown is well and truly on then for the yes, championship. Yeah, I would say so, yep. I don't know if we've got any interviews next week. I might escape. I might escape the inter- old interviews. I'm sure you will, Bledge. I'm sure you will have an interview. It's only every every other day you're having them at the moment. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm not getting any better at them. <laughs> right, well, good luck. I hope the weed picking goes well. And everyone, thank you very much for listening to part two of this. And we'll speak to you very soon. Thank you all. <laughs>